everyone, and welcome back to Happy to Meet Cute. We are so beyond excited to have you here today because we are so beyond excited to have today's author with us. Literally, my fangirling is like out of control <laughs> right now. I've been talking to Courtney about this multiple times about how I'm just going to be a huge nerd today um, because I am obsessed with today's author. I have already warned her of that. Um, <laughs> but I feel like the levels might get a little extreme, but <laughs> I'll try to keep it under control. Um, so we were super ex excited to have Danielle L. Jensen with us today. She is the USA Today bestselling author of the Bridge Kingdom, Dark Shores, and Malediction series, as well as the Saga of the Unfaded. Her novels are published internationally in 15 languages. She lives in Calgary, Alberta, with her family and guinea pigs. Amazing. Danielle, welcome. So excited. Super excited to be here and to finally be talking about this novel with people who have read it because for the longest time it, it's just um, you know, my team. And of course they're gonna be nice to me because <laughs> they have to, right? <laughs> well, I mean they don't have to, but I one must question why they're publishing a novel they, if they didn't like it. So. Amazing. Well, we will not be the first to be uh, squealing over this novel because yes. it is so, so good. Um, and honestly, like the Bridge Kingdom books are like what got me into reading romanticy. Like I oh, yes. read Bridge Kingdom a few years ago and was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> I didn't know this was the thing that we could have in this world. And then uh, it was all, I wanted, I was going to say downhill. It was all uphill after that. Yeah. Discovery. Gateway drug. It was. It was my gateway. And this book is just um, so good. And it's so beautiful. We were already gushing about the cover and just how lovely and perfect it is. Yeah. Um, and I need you to know that I texted Fallon, um, Daddy Bjorn. <laughs> my assistant calls him Bajati. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, no, you're not the first. So. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. All right. Well, before we give away too many secrets, can you uh, give us a little peek into A Fate Inked in Blood? Sure. It, it's so funny because I had to record a bunch of sort of promotional videos for my publisher where I described what the book was about. <laughs> and I, as soon as I have to describe my own book, my mouth stops working. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and I'm you like, take your time. <laughs> Well, no, it's just so funny. It's like every author's like worst nightmare is to describe their own book because um, it's almost like you can't see the forest through the trees. So yes. I have this like long list of pitches that I've been given <laughs> to And so I have them all here. So I'm just going to choose one. Yeah, cool. yes. Good idea. So, so the novel is, uh, the main character is Freya. She, uh... She hasn't lived like the best life up to the point where we start in the novel, but um, she, as the story unfolds, you discover that she, uh, there was a, there's a prophecy that she is uh, a shield maiden that is fated to unite the fractured kingdom of Scalan between the one, uh, beneath the one who controls her fate. And she gets wrapped into this really sort of nefarious deal with this power hungry uh, Jarl, which is earl but in viking language <laughs> and um you know she gets wrapped into this uh agreement with him because he believes that she is the one that is going to make him the king of scotland and uh lots of excitement ensues including her falling for his son which is a very forbidden romance so uh you know if you enjoy forbidden romance trope um this one is going to be right up your alley <laughs> it's so oh, good hopefully I did okay selling my own book there. <laughs> no I mean it's always like the absolute hardest thing is to describe your own book so we feel that deep in our souls um just go read the synopsis <laughs> <laughs> you're like it's there um the meet cute between the two of them <laughs> that is just my absolute favorite. I won't give it away because I want people to be surprised when they yeah, read it. Yeah, it's perfect. But I just knew like from that moment on, I was like, oh my God, I am 
I am so in for this whole thing. It's so good. Um, the forbidden romance aspects of it are just like the tension. I just, I'm like the whole time, you know, I'm basically just like, please just have sex already. No. <laughs> Actually, from the second they meet, I'm like already begging for them to bang. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so good. Um, and you uh, shared some really beautiful character art um, mm. on your Instagram where I was just like, oh my gosh, he yeah, is perfect. Say, you're probably talking about the new one. Ooh. We get- <laughs> yes. Oh, oh my god. Oh, the fire so axe. Yes. So good. It is by um, Alice Blake. So it's perfection. Um, it, it went out in the promotional boxes, and I do have a little a little stack of them. So I'm going to be um, finding a way to give them away. So wow. Can folks them. see this on your Instagram? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Go check it out. It's beautiful. It's on, um, it's on my website if you just want to save it and make it like your screensaver. <laughs> oh, yes. Absolutely. Or whatever you want to do with it. If you just want to look at it, you can you can just go on my website and under Fate's page on there. And it's at the bottom uh, under Stephanie Brown's art of uh, Freya and Bjorn. And you can just save them. Do oh, That's you know, cool. What a great what idea. Do what you do. <laughs> Um, I have to say, too, my, like, entirely nerdy side was so satisfied with this novel because I'm, like, I just am wrapping up my Loki obsession and Thor. And I'm now, I pick up this book, I'm like, wait, Mm -hmm. yes, this can just continue this love of, like, Norse mythology and Norse gods that I love. So this is... It's just very cool, and I think it will appeal to anybody who likes that dynamic of, like, Thor and Loki and, like, um, any sort of, like, Norse mythology and Viking mythology. It's so exciting, and it's really fun what you've created. Yeah, I mean, I think so. It's not uh, – certainly if you're liking any of the comic-type spinoffs, you're going to be uh, able to handle the mm-hmm. – uh, involvement of of these particular characters. Fate is an alternate world fantasy, so it's not our world, but it does use uh, a spin on existing North Norse mythology versus me renaming known um, mythological characters by giving them the same attributes. And there's reasons for that because there's clues in if you have a bit of a working knowledge of Norse mythology there's clues in there. So, you know, it is helpful if you know some, but you don't need to know anything about the Norse pantheon in order to read this. Uh, You, you won't be confused. You'll be fine. I'll take care of you. (laughs) It's just like an extra layer of fun. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Um, Well, I guess that kind of like leads into how did you get the inspiration for writing this book? You know, the inspiration question is always funny because some people have for their novels, um, like a really good, uh, meaningful and touching story or <laughs> it's like very, you know, they needed to, to get this out. I started watching the original Vikings show. Nice. And I loved it. I loved Lagatha so much. And, uh, you know, then watching Last Kingdom, which even though it takes place in the UK has a, you know, a huge Norse element to it. And, I just really loved that type of world and um, the type of action, the type of characters that we were seeing that you see in in those um, those adaptations of history. Uh, that I wanted to do it myself, and I wanted to do my own spin, and I wanted to write a like a romanticy version of of Vikings, and so it was just because I really liked another media like a television show uh that I was inspired to do it and it just became this thing that I was so focused on and it was cooking in the back of my brain and growing and you know every time I saw a book um with Norse inspired world building I was picking it up and I was reading it and you know I didn't have time to write the book then but it was just sort of growing in my brain 
And mm-hmm. I just really liked it and wanted it. And that's why I, I wrote it. Yes. Well said. Um, I'm constantly inspired by movies and TV mm-hmm. shows. So I totally feel that. And there's something to me really special about the stories that like sort of have to live in your head for a long time before you can get them on the page. Um, for me, those are always like the most fun to draft because I feel like I already know those characters and I know them. I know their story so well that it just like, it really makes the drafting process really fun. Mm -hmm. And I feel that if it's, if it's survived, the idea survived in your, in your brain for a few years, then it's a, it's a gooder. Whereas, you know, if you have an idea off the cuff and you start trying to write it, maybe it doesn't work out. So I'm always a long thinking before I, I hit the page. So yeah. Um, that's, did, that's how I roll. did you always know you wanted to do a forbidden romance or did that come up as you met your love interests in here? Uh, I certainly knew that it was going to be a forbidden romance once I started drafting because I'd been thinking about it for so long. Uh, obviously I'm known primarily for enemies to lovers, but um, you know, I don't want to do the same thing all the time. I do. I like there to be a massive obstacle that is is preventing the characters from being there, which is one of the reasons why I, I don't really gravitate towards um, friends to lovers, because I just find that there's less meat to get in the way of them being together. Um, but I feel like forbidden love is right up there with enemies to lovers with them having a mountain to climb before they can be together. So yeah, I knew when I started writing that it was going to be that way, but um I wouldn't say that the second that I had the idea that I wanted to write uh, this type of book that I, I necessarily knew it was going to be that okay. uh, romantic element. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I do feel like um, Forbidden Love and Enemies to Lovers have very similar vibes and that it's like, it's high angst, especially high in like angst. a, a romantic setting where, you know, there's also external tension. It's not just the the internal stuff that is angsty. It's also everything that is happening uh, around them. Yeah. Yeah. Extra drama. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We love that. (laughs) And the drama is so good. Like as I'm reading, I actually feel like I'm watching a series, like the way that you have it just constantly coming and it flows so naturally and makes so much sense for the world. It's just crafted so well. And, um, like anybody who like you you can't lose interest in this book as you're reading like it's just so engaging it hooks you at every chapter (laughs) no it's it's really really engaging like it's one of those books that you pick up and you're like oh maybe I'll just like sit with no you're gonna finish that sucker um it's really really good and the way that you kept the drama high and kept the stakes like so real for the characters is incredible. Thank you. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about your writing process, if you don't mind sharing. It's called flailing. (laughs) (laughs) Relatable. (laughs) I, I mean, as we've discussed, I think about the, the story for a long time before I start writing. So I have the type of brain where I can see it and hear it. And I am more or less creating like a film strip in my brain and watching it. And I, I tweak it in my head and I almost, I guess, create a movie of the key beats of the story in my head. And it's only when I have a solid movie that I start to write. And then I am transposing the movie into a book form. And of course, I don't visualize the quieter bits, the transition bits. And sometimes I start to write things and realize that the movie may have had a flaw and I have to fix it. But that is is primarily what I'm doing is taking what I have mentally visual, visualized and putting it down. Mm-hmm. And um, I can write either in the sense where I'm going back and forth with editing and really trying to... Um, perfect as I go, or I can just write a draft and then come back and perfect. I can do both ways. I do prefer to really build a strong, strong, like 25 first 25% because I always feel that that is the foundation of the story. And if 
that isn't working and then you build off of it, if you then have to subsequently go back and tear apart the foundation, you just have to rebuild everything again. So I always see that beginning part as something that I really have to get right before I can press on. And it is mentally hard for me to speed draft without doing that. It it stresses me out. Can I do it? Yes. Do I like to do it? No. But um, yeah, I'm more or less right. And then I do... Uh, where I get all of the cool depth that people like is iterative going through it. Why? And always asking, why would a character do this? Does it make sense that they would do this? What's their motivation? What do they get out of it? And it has to be for every character who is making impactful decisions. I don't like villains who are just evil for evil's sake because it's very shallow. So I'm always trying to make sure that the justifications make sense. And that is where I, a lot of my flailing happens is trying to understand why everybody is doing the things that they're doing and having it make sense is is my process. And so, yeah, just iterative over and over again, pass after pass until I feel like it's good enough, which is always a hard moment Mm -hmm. to say this Mm -hmm. is good enough because uh, you can always back through, go back through. And, and find something else that you would like to switch. But um, you do have to get yeah. it out of the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I feel like if it weren't for deadlines, I would just <laughs> never be finished with the book ever because, uh, yeah, I could go back and continue to make changes. It's one the of end the of time. I hate reading my books after they're published. Oh, yeah. I hate it. People are always say, do you just read your own books for fun? I'm like, it's not fun. <laughs> even remotely fun it stresses me out so bad you know even if it's just a sentence level where I'm like oh that's that's a shitty sentence Danielle and you put that out in the public (laughs) you know you want to change it but you know you have to kind of like let that go and so it is not a fun part of my job for me to have to go back and read what I've already published in order to write the sequels in order to you know obviously yeah have continuity and whatnot but I I do find it really stressful because there still will be things that I want to change especially if I have reader feedback and then I'm like oh maybe they're right I shouldn't have done that (laughs) (laughs) yeah I never really thought about that because I haven't ever written books that were in a series but yeah I guess you really have to make sure that you stay on top of that in your in your memory otherwise it could be issues Um, And I'm the worst for forgetting how to spell people's names. And that's one of my assistant's jobs is is that she'll go through and I'll put like in square backups. I don't remember how to spell this (laughs) for me because uh, I do have like a character uh, list of character names, but while I'm writing, it pulls me out of the moment to have to go reference my own um, encyclopedia for the the book so I just write notes saying I, yeah I don't remember the name of this town um <laughs> the guy who stabbed so-and-so in first book <laughs> forget his name and she, he helps me out a lot there because uh my brain is a sieve even for stuff that I've written so it's just because I'm getting old that's what I tell myself <laughs> it's totally normal um yeah like I always People, like readers will be like, oh, like, what's your favorite line from this book? And I'm like, I, pff, I got, I don't remember a word I wrote. <laughs> like, I don't no. know. <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Or even when they go back to something that you've written years ago and they are like, tell you some side character that they really <laughs> like. And you're like, I have no memory of that person. <laughs> and I'm sure it must be horrifying as a reader to think that it's just not so something that an author is thinking about on a daily basis, but it's almost like when I'm done with a story, mm-hmm. I vacate mm-hmm. them from my brain and I'm always looking forward, always thinking forward. So I don't really think about books and series that I finished already. Like they're yeah. gone from my brain mm-hmm. and I have to empty it out in order to put new in. And so while it's fresh for them, cause they've just read it or maybe they've reread it multiple times. Uh, I have been away from it for so long and it's just not where my headspace is at anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And by the time it publishes, you've been away from it for Mm -hmm. so long already. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, All right. Well, we did want to chat a little bit today about being a hybrid author. Um, 
because uh, Fate, Inked, and Blood is trad pub, and you know you've done some self pub in the past. Um, and I know this is something that like both Courtney and I have thought about, and you know, kind of explored for ourselves. And um, it seems like more and more authors are leaning toward being hybrid and sort of having a little bit of flexibility. Um, so we would love to hear about your experience with that and how that has all gone for you. Sure. So I started out in this industry traditionally published uh, with my debut book, uh, Stolen Songbird, which was in 2014. Uh, I subsequently got the rights to that back uh, because of a reversion clause that I chose to trigger and republished them independently. So a lot of people look at those books and think indie books. And yes, these editions are, but originally trad pub. Um, and then my Darkshore series was with Tortine. Uh, Badington Blood is with Delray. And uh, Bridge Kingdom is with Audible Originals. So I write exclusive content for them, which is why the audiobook comes out six months before uh, the print and ebook. So the print and the ebook are independently published, but I am always hesitant to call it a independently published series because Audible Originals functions like any other publisher. They are just audio medium only, but I have all the same resources that I do with any other publisher. So I like it. I have a business background. I like having, uh, you know, diversification of income mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. That's not really, you know, something that necessarily a lot of authors are um, thinking about because they might be more creatively minded or whatnot. But I do have a, a background in business. And so creating um, a situation for myself where I have some stuff that I fully control and then some stuff that that the publishers have more control over, but I'm insulated from things going wrong in either camp. So, uh, you know, it's a level of just protecting yourself because things go wrong in this business. You know, you have ups and you have downs and you do have to, if this is your primary income, be able to protect yourself. And so I like having a lot of opportunity to do things in different ways, the best way for any particular series and it's worked out really well for me. And I, it does sort of break my heart when I see people from both sides trashing the other side. Mm. And most of the time, there's so much false information. Like it just pains me how you'll have these people who are very deeply in, in the indie world will just be the spewing misinformation about traditional publishing. And they don't know. They, they think they know. They don't know anything because they've never done it. And if you haven't done it, there's so much stuff behind the scenes that you know nothing about. And so, you know, that hurts. And then you see traditional published authors who are like, oh, indie published people are only people who weren't good enough to be mm -hmm. traditionally published. Also not true. Mm -hmm. And so there's just a lot of negativity coming from both sides that just, I find just so toxic. Uh, I think the right choice depends a lot on who you are as a person. If you are not good at the business side of things, you have no business in independent publishing because you are running a business. You need a traditional publisher to help you with that stuff unless you're willing to learn and develop. But if you are really, really good at the business side of stuff and you love that, you might be able to do a better job and make way more money doing yourself than involving a publisher. And you have to understand who you are as a person, what you like to do on a daily basis, whether you want to do the business stuff or whether you just want to do the creative stuff and make the decision that way, not based on what a lot of people yelling on TikTok have told you, because <laughs> there's a, just a ton of false stuff out there that people are taking as the gospel truth. And it's exhausting. Success. Do the right choice for you. So well said. Yeah. I think too, there is this misconception that being traditionally published offers a lot of like external validation because you have to jump through multiple hoops. Um, but it's just not true. <laughs> like trad and indie, I think we all face the same, you know, fears and sensitivities and like doing one over the other isn't going to 
as you said, like prove that anybody is a better writer for choosing a different avenue. Like it's just, that's all it is. It's a choice in how you want to go about being published and how Mm -hmm. you want to uh, go about putting your work out into the world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think that you need to do your research and, and do, and, and look at the pros and cons from people who have experience in, uh, that of which they speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I would rather listen to a traditional author talk about the pros of traditional publishing and an indie author talk about the pros of indie publishing than hear them ragging on each other. Oh yeah. The ragging oh, stuff yeah. is usually the false information. It's the positive stuff that tends to be the real meat. And so look for people who are talking about making a choice and the positive reasons that they chose to do it. And those are the things that I find the most truth in from someone who does both and has done both for a long time and who watches a lot of TikTok videos. And so, So, yeah. Um, What do you think is the biggest pro of being indie? Control. Yeah. Mm. Control and uh, nimbleness. So, uh, you know, if the cover's not working, you it's print on demand. You can change the cover and mm. you don't have a 10,000 copies in the warehouse that you need to move. Uh, you see something happening that you think that you could uh, capitalize upon by doing a sale or getting in on some sort of promotion that requires you to do certain things. You can do it really, really quick mm. with traditional publishing. Everything is a lot slower. So yeah. control is, is my big thing and um, nimbleness and I also find that the indie author community is more collaborative and supportive of each other. Whereas in the traditional publishing world, it tends to, that you t- tend to see that a lot more only with like actual friendships versus um, people just helping out someone that they know in passing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a competition mm-hmm. aspect almost. Yeah. Yeah, I just find that because indie authors see themselves as businesses, they mm. are looking at for business advice from their peers. And that in business advice is offered fairly freely. And it's just a very different dynamic in traditional publishing. And the bulk of my friendships are on the indie side. Mm-hmm. At this point. What yeah. would you say is the biggest pro for being traditionally published? Uh, reach, mm-hmm. support, uh, being able to focus uh, more on the craft side of things without having to do all the other things. So you're not doing the minutiae. You're not doing, uh, they are, they, for the money they take, they're doing stuff. So, you know, people talk about how publishers just take money from you no, you're a partnership and you're offloading a huge portion of the costs and tasks onto them. So they are your business partner and they are taking their cut based on the work that they do. And yes, there's situations where they don't do enough work and maybe you feel that they're taking too big of a cut for what they're doing, but it is a business partnership. So they're not taking from you. They're just earning their piece of the pie based on the work that they do. So they have a lot more connections. They have a lot more resources. They have better distribution. They have better print quality control. Um, they, you know, can get you access into certain, uh, into media. They can get, it's a lot of it is just this massive reach that they have established. And as a single individual independently published person, you do not have that reach and you do not have that distribution and you do not have that warehouse capability. And, uh, you know, so you're leveraging their platform in order to get you into the hands of more readers and they, and they take the risk financially upfront. So you're not paying for editorial, you're not paying for the cover, you're not paying for really um, I mean, lots of times you do do extras, but the bulk of the upfront costs are fielded by the publisher. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you're tight for cash, that is meaningful. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. And I feel like, and this could be totally one of those myths that has been, you know, sort of circulated around TikTok. It's like, it seems like years ago, you could self-pub for a lot less of an investment than if you're like a debut self-pub indie person these days. Like, it seems like you have to put a lot more into it up front than maybe you did, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, but it feels like that's something that sort of like is said to scare people away. Um, I don't, I don't know. think that the input costs are higher per se. I think that there is so many more people who are doing independently published works that uh, in order to be seen and visible, uh, and purchased, you have to have a higher quality cover. Uh, you have to have worked with a good editorial team in order to have a clean product. Um, and that all comes at a cost. It's yeah. not good enough now to just have, you know, a inexpensive Photoshopped cover and, you know, your cousin edit your book. <laughs> Because you're playing against indies and there's hundreds and hundreds of them who are masters of this business. They have editors, they have artists, they have interior designers. They are putting every bit as much money into the um, book that they put out that a traditionally published book is. And so trying to be seen when you have so much volume of really great independently published works is just more challenging. And, you know, if you're paying for advertising, you have, you have to pay more now because so many more people are doing it. So I don't think it's that, you know, that editorial costs more or that good art costs more. It's that now in order to break out, you, you do have to make that investment because there's just so many options out there. Mm. And yeah, that's frustrating. You know, you, you think, if I can write a really, really good book, that should be enough. And it, it should be, but it's not. And, yeah. you know, we can be sad about that, or we can be realistic that, uh, you know, in order to get your books into the hands of readers, there are costs that come along with that, because this is a business with competition. And being a fantastic author and writing a really great book is not enough. And mm-hmm. I, I wish it was otherwise, believe me. I did too, but it's not. Viewing yeah. it as a whole product or mm-hmm. a product as a whole. And part of that, a huge part of that is the packaging. Hmm. Yeah, And it's, it's easier for me because I have a, a, a business background so I can step away mentally from the art and look at it very, through like a very cold lens of profitability. Mm-hmm. And that is not something that everybody can do or wants to do. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be like me. You don't. It's just how I am is, is that I'm very, I have both sides of the brain are working for me, the artist side and the business side. And that works for me, but you do not have to be me. And that's the thing that I always find a little, you know, if somebody gives advice, that's what works for them. You know, you don't have to be distressed because you look at it differently or you're doing it differently or that's not going to work for you. It's not something you, you don't need to attack me and you don't need to attack yourself for being different because we're all different and we're all coming at it from, there's no one right way. There's so many, so many ways. And so advice is something that you should listen to and then decide whether or not it's right for you, not take it as a prescriptive thou shalt do it the way Danielle L. Jensen says that you have to do it because that's just. It's not right. I love yeah. that. I think that's a good, like, overarching. And I feel like that goes with publishing just in general and writing in general. Like, there's tons of advice out there, and you just have to find the advice that works for you. And mm-hmm. it's not all going to work for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think anybody who's like out there touting a way that, like, oh, this is the way that you should do things, or hey, this is the way to like make money fast. Like don't No, That's a red flag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It should always be, this is how I do it. Mm-hmm. This is my story. This is what I have learned. Take from this what you will. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, on the vein of 
things not working for you, we (laughs) have to talk about (laughs) the upcoming Bridgerton season three, which I think it was last week. We got some little teaser trailer clips of uh, Colin and Penelope and you have some thoughts on Colin. So please share them all. Well, so I, I do have a writer's group and um, I've been trashing Colin because I think he's such a useless child. But then they've clearly restyled him to be much more mature and attractive. And I think that that is like, they make the main guy always the best in his season. And they kind of like, mm-hmm. I don't even know how they do it. They make them less attractive somehow or less compelling in when they're just side characters. But then, so they started posting stills and I'm like, damn it, they're going to make me take back my gender. <laughs> they're going to make me regret my words. But I, he's going to have to work hard to earn my heart because he has not been pleasant to her. Mm-hmm. And he's been kind of bratty and immature. Mm-hmm. And I'm going into this very like, okay, yeah, you're hotter than you were before, but I'm not sure that your personality is going to be good enough to be good enough for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I love that clip because she takes no prisoners and basically gives it to him. And he is clearly shook at that. <laughs> By the end of it. And so I am very excited to see whether I think the writers on this series are fantastic. And, you know, I, I, I do a lot of trust for that team to uh, work with the material, the source material and, um, and change my mind. I want them to change my mind. Absolutely. My mind. But right now my mind isn't, I'm still like, he's, he's, a sh- he's shitty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and he the third love interest or a second love interest to roll onto the scene in order to steal her away. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen. At this point, I feel like we're Penelope's besties being like, you don't deserve her. You mm-hmm. are never good to her. <laughs> um, no. So that, that's yeah. how I feel about Penelope. Like, you're not good enough for our girl. <laughs> you better grovel. But the uh, actors, when they're just together at award shows and stuff like that, they're really cute together. They're so really cute. cute. They're like just adores her. Yeah. And so I like the actor better than I like. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, though. And I feel like sometimes sometimes we need a little bit of that. But yeah, they really, I mean, they did that with um, uh, Anthony's character, too. Because like in season one, I was like, am I supposed to find him attractive? Oh, and then all of a sudden... Yes. <laughs> he came back and really helped. <laughs> he came back in season two and I was like, oh, oh, okay, okay. Um, so they have done it before. I feel like they can do it again. I did also see a I don't I think it was a tweet or a thread or something where they apparently broke the furniture filming one of their sex scenes. That's funny. Wow. <laughs> So they and must have like, good chemistry. Okay. I want the uh, I want the outtakes of that. <laughs> yes. yeah. So I was like, all right, that gives me some hope that um, we're gonna we're gonna be okay in the end, but we'll see. I took a lot of um, inspiration from season two with Anthony for <sighs> the Bridge Kingdom Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been using a lot of the gifts from when he falls in the water. Yes in my Facebook group for the Bridge Kingdom series because that is um that is also a forbidden love uh romance between Anna and um James. So you know it it I did I was very inspired by that season of Bridgerton and the forbidden love and that mm-hmm. dynamic and that even that uh the world of Bridgerton. A lot of yeah. that I pulled in. So uh, I look forward to readers picking out those moments when they when they get to that book. I love it. Love it. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see how this sort of like two parts goes with season three. I did feel like season two was a a bit too much of a slow burn for my liking. Like I definitely wanted. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
<laughs> Sorry. Scene. I know. <laughs> I still loved it. I was just like, I wanted it quicker. Um, Not fair. And yeah. But I feel like Colin has so much work to do mm-hmm. before we can get them to that point that I feel like this one is going to be a slow burn they're too. Saying, no, they're saying it's spicy. Oh, really? Is what I've seen. And oh, I, okay. that could be, I could be telling you lies. I don't know. I don't have <laughs> proof of this, but I've heard that it's quick, quicker to the burn. Now, I am a slow burn girly. I want to be dying by the time we get to <laughs> <laughs> I want it. I want to want it as much as they want it. Yeah. And so I don't tend to actually like it when there's a ton of physicality up front very often. Now mm. I always just say very often because it's always the situation. Like, it's always the characters, the situation, mm-hmm. the novel the show. If you do it right and you do it well, I'm fine with anything, mm-hmm. but yeah, as my general vibes, I like super slow burn. Super slow burn. Okay. In Shonda, yes. I trust. I, I know. <laughs> yeah, I would she's trust like, her. It's like my would be my dream to work with. Oh, Not that God. as an author, you have any power there whatsoever. But if I would actually just expire and die if that ever happened. Well, you know, since this- she listens to this podcast, we'll put in. A- <laughs> <laughs> Good word for yeah, you. it's you know, she's the sort of person where. You know, lots of times adaptations are bad. I feel like if you give her your 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 book, that she will only do it justice, oh. and that oh, yeah. it's not about it being the same because they're totally different formats. Mm-hmm. But she takes source material and she elevates it in beautiful ways. So yeah. I would, I would, I would just, I would just die. I would melt into the earth out of pure joy <laughs> mm-hmm. if I ever even met her. <laughs> I mean, that's a partnership that I would like to speak into the universe, please, mm-hmm. because yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Let's manifest yes. this. Yes, please, everyone. Yes. It's all manifested together. Um, amazing. Well, before we let you go, are you able to share with, uh, with us what you are working on next? Sure. So I am currently working at this exact day on editorial for Bridge Kingdom 5. We haven't released really any details about that, but it will be out in with Audible in the fall. And then the print and the ebook will come after. Uh, I'm super excited about that book because Anai is, uh, of all the secondary characters in the Bridge Kingdom series, one that I have been just dying to write her story and for people to get inside her head and uh, just unpack the tensions, not just with the new relationships, but with her her brother, who is RN, who is the main um, hero in the in the first two books, and her tensions with Lara, which are high, and you know really dig into that. And so I love this book. I can't wait for people to listen and then read it. And then I am also, once those edits are in, working on the um, second book for the duology uh, for. Uh, the saga of the unfaded, which is a fading to blood sequel. And it does have a title. So, I, and we call it by its title in marketing calls. So I always have to be careful that I don't say it. It's a book with a title. I, um, and I'm not going to say too much about that because so many people have not read the first book and I really mm-hmm. don't want to give anything away other than that. I am living for more banter between um, Freya and Bjorn and it's an elevated form of banter now at this point for reasons. And I'm super excited for you all to get that in 2025. So that's what I'm working on. You are the master. And I normally, when authors leave me on cliffhangers, I hate them but <laughs> yours are always so good that it just makes me just be like okay I'm like counting down the days until the next one yeah. there is a beauty to like, like people I know that uh certainly in recent years that um the public has struggles with cliffhangers we've generally lost patience as a society which I don't mm-hmm. actually think is a great thing we should go back to the when we actually had to wait for things and be mm-hmm. really excited about them in my opinion but I digress uh, the the key to a cliffhanger is you have to resolve. You have to give a resolution and then set up the cliffhanger. <gasps> that is the magic. So you need to give a satisfaction of something coming of, of a 
a big plot arc yeah revelation coming to a completion within that novel and then it's the end then that uh is the cliffy so people are like excited about you know where you got them to and then they're enticed by the end then that's the magic and i don't always do it perfectly but i always trying to do it perfectly and that is there's some advice resolution and then you give them an Mm -hmm. end then and i love cliffhangers and i will never stop doing them and i (laughs) want them in every single book that is not a finale and i will never change and so quit telling me to (laughs) (laughs) no don't change because they're perfect And honestly as a reader the chances of me picking up a sequel if there's no cliffhanger are almost zero i need I have such a huge um, TBR because like publishers send me a lot of books that if you want me to read a sequel, I need to be thinking about that cliffhanger that I need that resolution for. That is what gets me there. So as a reader, I, I guess I'm writing for people like me who need that hook yeah. and want that hook. Yeah. And the rest of you, if you're not that way, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that sorry. <laughs> I think especially in fantasy, I mean, that's a huge, like, element that develops a fandom. Like, what's going to happen next? I don't know. We have to wait. And then everybody has their theories. And yeah, the conversation. Yeah, Yeah, totally. So if there's resolution and there's nothing to talk about other than, oh, I guess we'll see what they do next. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not creating a conversation. So, of course, it is, of course, a marketing tool oh you're right yeah. you know because yeah. it, it gives readers something to speculate about what's going to happen you know you see it with all the big romanticy uh you know think about the the way that people were talking about what was going to happen in, in crescent city three you know mm-hmm. a massive conversation because you know you're left on this this cliffhanger at the end of book two and mm-hmm. you know obviously that's a sarah's wildly popular but even so she created this huge space for her readership to talk about the what ifs. And that I think is one of the most enjoyable parts of being in the bookish community is having this sort of massive book club where you're all speculating and imagining on the what ifs. And I think that that is so fun. And I just want to feed into that and, and give readers, my readers, the same sort of opportunity to have those what if conversations and to wonder what I'm doing and, and to and to speculate and to talk amongst themselves and then see whether or not their theories manifest. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So so fun. All right. Um, and can you let our listeners know where they can find you online? Sure. So all of my various handles are some variation of my name. Uh, so I am on kind of on TikTok, although I'm a little bit boring on TikTok. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I highly doubt that. No, I, I'm not, it's, it's not my, um, I'm not winning at TikTok. I'm just, (laughs) but I'm on TikTok. I'm mostly on Instagram is honestly my, my primary platform. It's the first place where I post any new information. It's, uh, for sure. If you're looking for something, it's there somewhere. I know it can be a little bit frustrating, um, digging through posts to find information. And then of course my website and really all author websites for the most part are going to be such an incredible resource. If you have a question or, you know, a thought that, you know, you should ask the author this, whatever, go to their website first, because there's a good chance that the information is there and then um, you'll have it. And then I do have Facebook. I am active in my Facebook groups, not on my Facebook page that just gets recycled content from Instagram. So following my page is only good if you are not on Instagram, really. So join my groups. There's a Bridge Kingdom one. There is a Fadington Blood one. Uh, You have to answer questions in order to get in because Facebook is full of crazy bots that are trying to sell you like car cleaning. Uh, (laughs) You have to answer the questions in order to get in. And, um, And yes, so there. And then I do have a newsletter which you can subscribe to on my website. There's a bunch of bonuses that you can get by subscribing. You can get them all if you want. You can just keep entering your information into uh, the various sign-up things and it will keep sending you stuff. So 
uh, that way is great too. And the good thing about emails is, is that you're not uh, dependent on an algorithm to get the content. It will just pop into your, your inbox. And I don't send that many. So I would not consider myself spammy, but if you find me, so you can always unsubscribe. (laughs) (laughs) You're definitely not. Um, And you have a tour coming up. All that info is on your website and your Instagram. Um, so people can come see you in person. Wow. And as you are listening to this episode, A Fate Inked in Blood is out now. So you can go buy it. It's incredible. Um, so read it and then thank us later. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. This has been truly an amazing conversation and uh fangirl dream come true. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. <laughs> thank you, Danielle. <laughs> And thank you all so much for listening and we'll chat with you more next week. Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore k k a e on all social media platforms and you can find me fallon ballard at fallon ballard everywhere you imbibe your social media if you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode you can find links in the show notes and a special shout out to zachary kibby and matt ballard for our amazing theme song thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you next time